This podcast provides general information about the law, not specific legal advice. The licensed attorney speaking on this podcast cannot take the place of a competent private attorney who can provide proper legal advice only after hearing the specific facts of your case. You're listening to Law and Caution, Protection Through Legal Education, brought to you by Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada. Hello, my name is Josh Lozano. I'm a law student at William S. Boyd School of Law, and I'm here today with two attorneys from the Consumer Rights Project at the Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada. First, I'd like to introduce Ryan McConnell. He's a staff attorney currently focusing on landlord-tenant issues, and he enjoys walking his basset hound on his free time. How are you doing, Ryan? Hey, good, Josh. That's very true. (laughs) All right. And then next, we have uh, Nick Haley. He is a consumer rights attorney focused on housing and eviction issues. He might be the most important reason the Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup because whenever he didn't shave, they won. So he temporarily retired his razor to help ensure the victory. How are you doing, Nick? Yes, hockey rituals are important. Yes, they are. Uh, Today we are discussing habitability, what to do if your landlord is not repairing. First, we'll discuss what habitability is, the proper steps you must take, your rights as a tenant, what to do if you withheld rent without following these steps, and what to do if your landlord retaliates after you complain. There'll be a short break and a game show quizzing the attorneys in the middle. In the description of this episode, you will find links for all the resources we mentioned, such as signups for the free tenants' rights class held here at the Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. You'll also find timestamps so you can jump around and uh, skip to the topic that's most important to you. All right, so uh, habitability. For those in the audience, they understand this episode's about my landlord just isn't doing what they're supposed to. They're not fixing what's broken. But what is habitability? Can, uh, if you two can explain it. Ryan, you want to start? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start with that. So habitability is essentially, in, in so many words, mm-hmm. it's what makes a property uh, suitable to live in. Mm-hmm. And, and I was trying to say, say it without saying it's what makes a property habitable, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's what makes it suitable to live in. So your general idea is all the, everything is, is functioning. All the appliances are functioning. Uh, there's no holes in your wall. There's no, uh, toxic mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have air conditioning and this goes into the essential and non-essential habitability issues, but you have air conditioning, heat, a working stove, uh, an oven, everything that, um, a reasonable person would expect to have when you're renting a, an apartment or a house. And, uh, about habitability. So you touched on it a little bit for the audience. What's the difference between essential and non-essential? Why, why does that necessarily matter? I would say essential services are a subset of habitability. Mm-hmm. They, they fall under habitability, but essential services are things you just can't live without for any length of time. We're talking about running water, hot water, air conditioning, heating, a locking front door, those things that you just can't live without for any length of time. Okay, so uh, as an example for the audience, would a leaking roof be considered essential, non-essential? Most likely that would be non-essential. That, mm-hmm. that would affect the enjoyment of the house. It, potentially over time it would create mold issues, potentially. Uh, it, it isn't something where you wouldn't be able to live in the house. This is late June in Las Vegas right now. We've been fortunate so far, but we're about to come into 100 degree weather. Air conditioning is an essential issue. You don't have that, you could be at risk. Mm-hmm. During the winter heating, yeah, um, if you don't have running water, you can't bathe, you can't cook, you can't 
you can't drink water. You know, these are essential things. Something that's simply making the home less enjoyable to live in is more likely to be a habitability issue. If, if a leak's bad enough, potentially it would create, you know, perhaps a big hole in the roof, which could lead to something that might lean toward becoming an essential services issue eventually, but um, most likely that's going to be a habitability issue. Yeah, that, that's where I was going to go with it, too, mm -hmm. is like if, if it gets bad enough and there's just a hole in your roof, then then you could very well argue that that's an essential service. Mm -hmm. that, that, I, I need a, I literally need a roof over my head and there is no roof over my head. Uh, yeah, and when then, I got the place, I didn't think it was going to have a skyline. Right. Yeah, yeah, a, a skylight with, without glass, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's perfect. So for the audience, if you have an issue and you believe your landlord, it's something that they need to fix, uh, you need to decide whether it's essential, non-essential, you can actually look this up. To make it a lot easier, you can just click on the link below to the uh, Civil Law Help Center. They actually have a, a list of it. But all right, so what do I do if I go to my landlord and I mention this and the first thing they say is like, well, that's what you have renter's insurance for. Well, to start when you say go to your landlord, it's important to discuss how you go to your landlord. Mm -hmm. If you have a habitability issue, it's fine to call your landlord. I would, however, recommend that you document your contact with them should things go wrong later. If this becomes an issue for the courts, you're going to want some sort of paper trail to show that you did reach out to your landlord to show what you discussed with your landlord. Otherwise, uh, it's, it's possible that nothing will come of it if, if you don't document. You, you need to follow some steps to show that you've not only reached your landlord, but to show what you discussed with your landlord. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, you can send an email, you can send a letter, some people have sent text messages. The statute refers oftentimes to uh, you know mailing a letter, but I have found in court that even emails and text messages can have uh, merit in court. You just need some sort of trail to show what you actually said to your landlord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and th and that includes uh, a lot of especially corporate landlords now have these uh, maintenance portals or mm -hmm. all encompassing portals that you pay your rent through you your lease is attached there you're able to uh, make maintenance requests or other requests there and so if that's the way the landlord has it set up for you to make these types of requests do it through the portal you'll oftentimes get some kind of email confirmation and uh, th that'll that'll leave the paper trail that Nick's referring to all right, so quick summary for those at home. Our two attorneys always advise, make sure to have a paper trail when you go to the court so it's not what you say versus the landlord. Like Nick was saying, you can use text. Ryan was saying, if there's a portal, make sure to use that. Let's just say that we, for the sake of this example, we brought it up to the landlord. Now, how long does the landlord have after being notified, proper notice, do they have to fix this issue? There are statutory periods. To some extent, you do follow the statutory periods. It's 14 days. 14 calendar days for a habitability issue for an essential services issue, AC, heating, running water, it's 48 hours mm -hmm. after, you, after you've provided written notice. There is a practical element to it though. There are some types of issues, for example, mold. You're probably not going to be able to resolve a mold issue within two weeks. So mm -hmm. there, there is going to be a practical component to this where you have to consider, are they taking steps to fix the issue? Yeah, the, the landlord needs to make a good faith effort in, mm -hmm. in, in trying to respond to it. And we've seen this not only with mold issues, but with some essential services such as AC or heat, where especially in those really hot summer months or the winter months when it gets cold and a furnace breaks down, then 
getting an, an HVAC repairman out to fix the AC or the or the furnace, even if the landlord's doing their their best to get someone out there, it may take more than those couple days. So what's the landlord doing in the meantime? Are they keeping you updated? Are they uh, providing you with some type of temporary fix, some portable air conditioning unit to keep you cool or some portable heater? Are mm-hmm. they allowing you to go out and get those types of services and say, yeah, just go out and buy a portable AC, we'll deduct it from your rent, no problem. As long as they're working in good faith with the tenant and keeping them up to date, even if it takes a little longer, they're, the practical element that Nick was talking about really holds up because if if an AC isn't available, it's not available. I, I went through this. I'm actually a landlord of a private property up in Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I did an interview with a, a news channel down here about air conditioning issues. And then the very next day, my tenant up in Reno called me and said, the air conditioning's out. Mm-hmm. And we went through this whole process of, okay, well, let's get the guy out there. We got the guy out there. They made a fix. Uh, the fix didn't hold. And so my tenant calls mm-hmm. me again. And it ended up that the AC unit needed to be replaced. And there was just no practical way to get that AC unit in within those 72, 48, 72 hours mm-hmm. that are, it's 48 hours that are required. But to meet that statute, there was just no way it was going to happen. So we had to make arrangements with the tenant. Uh, luckily, they were able to get a, a, a swamp cooler mm-hmm. in there to keep them keep them cool. We deducted an amount from their rent once everything was said and done. And we were able to get it fixed. But so if, as long as a landlord, not holding myself out to be the perfect landlord, but mm-hmm. as, as long as a landlord is taking those proper steps to mm-hmm. uh, resolve the problem, the, the they'll be uh, upholding the statute. Something I want to underline that Ryan mentioned, communication is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. You should give your landlord updates as to whether or not the fix worked. Uh, conversely, the landlord should give updates as to what he or she is doing. Communication throughout the process is really important. Okay. So 48 hours for essential, 14 days non-essential. However, that's not necessarily the time the landlord must fix it. It's the amount of time that they must make a good faith effort towards the fix. So just keep that in mind. All right. So notified the landlord. Uh, you talked to him. You properly notified him uh, to stress what Nick was saying. Uh, you didn't just communicate it verbally. It's either been the 48 hours has passed or the 14 days, depending if it was essential, non-essential, uh, and they just haven't gotten back to you or they haven't done anything. So what type of rights do you have as a tenant? What can you do to enforce these rights? There are some timelines that are important. If, mm-hmm. it, if it's something essential, you, your AC is out in the summer, your heat's out in the winter, you need to act quickly. Not mm-hmm. just for the comfort of your family, but because some of your rights come up very, very quickly. The statute gives five days for an expedited relief of an essential services issue. Five days goes very quickly. Mm-hmm. So if your AC goes out on a Monday, you're on the clock. You notify your landlord immediately, do it in writing. You know, it's fine to call, but follow up with something in writing. But if you want expedited relief and you're, you fear that it's not going to be fixed quickly enough, you have five days to file in the court system to get expedited relief. So that's one of those deadlines that comes up very quickly that I want to flag. Mm-hmm. 
If it takes longer than that, there are a number of remedies that can come up, and it just depends upon what the issue is, and we can break down. There's, there's essentially four ways you can address things in statute that we can break down one at a time. Yeah, uh, I'll echo what Nick said there, and I think that, uh, so, so the first remedy in either case is you can withhold rent. Mm-hmm. Um, importantly, this works much better if you're not behind in rent. In, in fact, if you're, if you're, if it's a habitability issue and you're already behind in rent, uh, the court's not going to consider you withholding rent as, as valid because you were already behind. There's not, there's really nothing to withhold because you already owe something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you are up to date on rent, you can withhold your rent. That. Uh, for habitability issues, that seems to work a little bit better because of the longer timeline. Uh, if it's a straight habitability issue instead of essential services issue, uh, if the landlord isn't uh, kind in terms of what you're what you're trying to get them to to do, and they say, "Well, you're withholding rent, we're going to try to evict you," then what you can do once you have an eviction case is deposit that rent with the court. And in fact, if you're going to win in that eviction hearing, you need to deposit that rent with the court. That's not a requirement for an essential service, but you do just need to put that money away somewhere uh, just to make sure that if if the time comes where you're ordered to pay that money or the landlord fixes the issue right away, that you are able to pay that money back. Okay. And then, uh, so just to make it clear, if it was a non-essential issue and you wanted to withhold rent, you would still have to deposit with the court? Correct. Yeah. But if it's an essential issue and you wanted to withhold rent, you wouldn't have to deposit it with the court? Correct. Okay. But you should hold hold on to the rent anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And then uh, for those listening, if you missed it, it's very important. You couldn't withhold, you couldn't use the argument of withholding rent if you're behind on rent. Right. Nothing, nothing to withhold if you're already behind. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Ryan and Nick were explaining one of your remedies. Uh, let's continue with the rest. Of well, them. the second remedy would be mitigation. That's a fancy way of saying you fix the issue yourself or you, you try to make the issue less severe. Mm-hmm. The easy example, air conditioning, you can get a portable unit. Potentially, you could buy a portable AC unit or a portable, you know, a space heater, and you could deduct the cost of that from your rent. Potentially, you could ask your landlord, hey, you know, I, I had to buy this because I'm still without heating or cooling. Uh, here's the receipt from Walmart or wherever I bought it. And I've, I've been using this the last few days because it's just too cold in here. And so you could potentially deduct that from rent. If it's an issue that's really bad, like it's 110 degrees and you just can't be in there at all, you, you might be in a, a motel for a stretch of time, in which case you'd save the receipt from that until such time as they were able to fix that. Yeah. So make sure to save a receipt. Uh, it would be extremely difficult to try and prove like, oh, you know, I bought this uh, indoor AC unit from the guy across the street. We just exchanged cash. Make sure to keep receipts. You always have to think down the road of, is this going to turn into a dispute? I don't think most people think in terms of lawsuits necessarily, but you do have to think down the road, even without a lawsuit, even if you're just going to the landlord and making a claim you know, directly face-to-face, you're going to have to say, I have this receipt, here's how much it costs, here's my proof. 
Yeah, so you might get an incredible deal from Uncle Billy, but it will be very hard to uh, prove that in the future. So just go to the store and get that nice receipt or order it online. Absolutely. And of course, depending upon what the issue is, mitigation or you know remedying the issue could be any number of things. You could be using mold killer to clean the mold that's building up in your in your wash area where you know mold's building up. It could be you patch the wall yourself because there's a breeze coming through it. Whatever it may be, you, you want to keep the receipts. Absolutely. Um, I guess moving on to the, the next remedy that we could talk about is uh, breaking the lease. Mm. If you have a habitability issue, the landlord's not taking any efforts. You've sent that that letter that says, hey, and within 14 days, you need to at least make good faith efforts to get this fixed. Landlord isn't doing so or they're uh, saying they're going to, they're dragging it out. What you can do is you can Break, break the lease after those 14 days. The statute mm -hmm. says that you're able to uh, do so without any of the penalties that may, may or may not be in the lease. So if the lease says, oh, you have a lease break fee of uh, $2,000, you wouldn't need to pay that. You're due all your, de your deposit back. Uh, and you really don't need to give any kind of 30 day notice at that point either. So you send the, if you send a 14 day letter or whatever notification you initially sent that says, Hey, you need to fix this, or this is what I'm going to do. And you end up breaking the lease at the end of it. I always recommend sending another letter or another email saying on X neck on May 15th, uh, I sent you this letter about my what what have you the hole in my roof mm -hmm. and uh, you have since made no efforts to fix this so therefore on june 15th i am moving out of the property this is where you can send my security deposit and and that's that and then then you move on of course that's always easier said than done mm -hmm. because if you're in the situation where you're facing some kind of habitability issues and that's going to cause a lot of stress in your life in general. It's certainly not going to be easy for you to just pick up and find another place to live and pack up all your things. And so it's easier said than done, but that is always an option when your habitability issue with that the landlord's not fixed. It. On the back end of that too, if, if you're like most tenants, you have deposits, you have potentially last month's rent that you want to reclaim. And that leads into our fourth remedy, which is you can sue for damages, and potentially that's what's going to happen if you if you do attempt to end the lease early. I would I would almost avoid saying break the lease because if the landlord's not providing you a habitable place to live, to me they're breaking the lease. Mm. You know, it's their breach of the lease. If if it comes to that and you're moving out, the landlord might not be amenable to giving you back your deposits. In which case you might have to go to court for that and depending upon the amount you could either go to small claims court or if it's an amount greater than ten thousand you might be looking at a more complicated issue um, you could also potentially sue for other damages if your family was injured by the conditions in the home um, either through some kind of medical issue or some injury if the property wasn't properly maintained and you got hurt potentially you could even be looking at uh, some type of personal injury suit Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. And the, that's a great point. You're not breaking the lease. I believe the, the terminology in the statute is terminate, terminating the lease. So you're terminating the lease agreement between you and the landlord. Yeah. So for those in the audience, a, a very simple way is you're not breaking anything necessarily. It's just they're not providing what they promised. I would say the important thing is just that people need to understand there is a process and you can't mm -hmm. take shortcuts on it. You do want to document, you want to save your receipts. 
you want to communicate effectively with your landlord. You want to make sure they understand what the issue is. You have to put all of your ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you aren't caught up on your rent before you make a habitability complaint, if you don't effectively communicate it to your landlord, if you don't have documentation, we say, you know, create a paper trail, but, you know, electronic, however you do it, but just have something you can show somebody later, it could affect effectively upend what you're doing. So it's important to do it properly. Yeah, there, there's... Uh, I mean, we've probably lost count of how many tenants we've seen, whether they're coming into our office or we've observed them in court, trying to use these habitability defenses to evictions. And because they either didn't communicate with the landlord about the issue properly, like the, they may show the court um, pictures of just deplorable conditions in this property that the court will say, well, this, this is awful. but. If they never notified the landlord about it, don't have documentation of it, did not deposit rent with the court for the habitability issue, that's a really big one where if the court doesn't see that the rent is deposited with the court, regardless of the circumstances, they're not the defense isn't going to win in that instance. Yeah, and there there's certainly a little leeway on certain issues, you know, for example, it doesn't have to be paper, it can be electronic and sometimes the you know the amount of deposited rent can be in controversy so it you know sometimes the landlord might claim a, a different amount from what you do but you do have to at least substantially try to comply with all those things and just the the documentation is really important you you have to approach this like you're going to have to come back 6 months later when you've forgotten all this stuff and and present all of this in a way to show this is what it actually cost me so just remember, all those you listening, you might have an argument based on principle because your place might be horribly taken care of. But if you don't take the steps that these two attorneys brought up, then you won't have an argument legally. So make sure to uh, document everything and give proper notice. And uh, go to the Civil Law Help Center. There's going to be a link in the description that has all the steps on how to follow this with pre-made fillable documents, like how to uh, notify your landlord. And right now we'll take our break. Navigating through court can be intimidating. The Civil Law Self-Help Center is here to help. Located in the Regional Justice Center in downtown Las Vegas, we're open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., providing free legal forms, information on court rules and procedures, and community referrals. We can assist you with questions on small claims actions, landlord-tenant disputes, and protection orders. Remember, while we can't provide legal advice for your situation, we're able to provide legal information. Our mission is to increase informed access to the legal system for everyone, regardless of income, assets, or citizenship. All right, and we're back. Now we're going to do the uh, want the truth segment, which is where we just shoot some uh, some statistics out at the attorneys, have them guess, and then they'll talk a little bit about it. I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. No, the defense is wrong. All right, so this is a study put on by UNLV, but... Uh, George Lewis Bertrand, this came out in 2018, basically out of 520 contested cases, out of those 520, 
what percentage or how many tenants do you think had their issue resolved by their landlord? If I were to speculate on this, which I, I have no idea what the number would be, I would I would probably presume it to be somewhere around a little over half. That, that's that's about where I was going to what I was going to say to about fifty percent. Um. So it says when asked if their grievances were resolved, three hundred and thirty-two tenants reported that they did not find a resolution. Out of five hundred and twenty. Yeah. So a little at little under half. All right, so now we're gonna go to, so what percentage of that do you think when they sent their very first letter had their issue resolved out of the group that said that they had their grievances resolved? I would presume that to be a low number. I would expect that the the first letter probably didn't elaborate on the issue sufficiently to resolve it. My gut tells me the same thing, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip it and say that that because they ended up getting it resolved, that uh, the first letter did it. So I'm gonna say like 75%, I'm gonna go high. Oh, well that's interesting. Nick, you are spot on. So out of the ones that say that they got their grievances resolved, 16% of them said that they were able to do it off the first letter. So like what Nick was saying, massive percent probably was not clear on the letter or they didn't send it properly. But if you do what these attorneys say, you might find yourself as part of that 16. Well, once again, I'm too optimistic. <laughs> I think some issues are a little more complicated than uh, can be easily summarized in one communication anyway. It, it typically involves a dialogue. And, you know, sometimes you got to send a technician out to see what what actually is the issue with the system that failed or, um, you know, sometimes you have to dig into walls to find out, do you have a leak? Does the, does your neighbor have a leak? So I, I think that's natural that it would take more than one letter. That was just to get you guys thinking, but now we'll continue with the rest of the show. So we'll pick up where, what if I withheld my rent without depositing with the court? Or what if I was behind on my rent uh, and now I might be possibly face, facing eviction. Uh, wh what do you two have to say about that? Potentially, you're upending your defense. Mm -hmm. You have to follow the steps. If you don't follow the steps, you're going to lose, it, it, at least in court. Maybe you resolve it a different way, but if you're going to use the court system, you have to follow the statute. If you are behind in rent when you begin this process, it's just not going to work in the courts. There are a lot of ways to resolve things without the courts. If you have a good relationship with your landlord, you, you should be talking to them early and often to try to find something that works for both of you. A lot of landlords don't want turnover. The home sits empty for months. If you're otherwise paying regularly, they probably just want their rent to where if they can resolve something fairly easily and keep you in there and not have to find a replacement for you, they want to do that. So um, if you have a good relationship with your landlord, it's probably best just hash something out before it even gets to that stage. If you don't and you have to think more defensively, you have to follow the process. Yeah. And if you're if you're just unable to follow the process and you're not able to work with your landlord like Nick's suggesting, which in, happens in a lot of cases as well. You really just want to focus on taking the, the least bad option. So in a lot of instances, uh, you're living in a place that's uninhabitable, habitable. you don't like the conditions, you're facing an eviction, and your defense is weak or non-existent because either you were behind on rent or you didn't deposit it with the court or for some other reason. 
Well, you still have the option of moving out of the property before uh, the the eviction hearing. And as, as long as you're out of the property before then, there's nothing for the court to adjudicate because in Nevada, at least, uh, the summary eviction process is only about possession of the property. So as long as you're out of the property, you get away from that situation that you're in, re regardless of whether whether whatever habitability issue it is, and you avoid an eviction on your record. So while that's not going to be the ultimate solution that you would have wanted, that uh, sure the landlord is going to be in the wrong with this. They they didn't do their job, uh, but because you didn't follow that process, it's going to impact you negatively anyways. So uh, a lot of times we do have to counsel tenants to take that least bad situation. And if they're a absolutely able to uh, move out of the property before any kind of court hearing. To the extent possible, I like to give people just a practical view of, of their circumstances. Oftentimes, you're in housing that needs a lot of work. Maybe the landlord is cash poor. We often don't know what their situation is, but if a home is in bad shape, it might be possible that the landlord needs to do a lot of renovation, and that might involve you finding another place to live because the property is just that much of a mess and it, it's just not practical for them to do what needs to be done to make it a habitable place to live. Um, depending upon the circumstances, a, a habitability issue can go any number of ways. Uh, the example of a cash poor landlord is more common than people realize. Oftentimes, homes inherited by somebody or um, you know it's somebody who's had the home a long time and has used it as passive income in the retirement they might not be in a situation to do what they need to do they might not be suitable to be landlords and the issue you present to them just makes that clear um, and, and in those circumstances just understanding their where they come to the issue um, points in the direction of where you need to go yourself you know oftentimes they're just not going to be able to resolve the issue and maybe breaking the lease is the option or you know terminating the lease um, it, it's important to understand what you want to see happen versus what is practical to see happen yeah and then uh for those of you that are going to heed the advice of you know maybe i should try and leave early before the eviction uh, make sure that you can prove and argue that you actually did move out. Uh, it's, it would be hard to prove that if all your stuff is still there and you tell the court, yes, I did move out. All your beds are there. Your dog is there. So uh, make sure. And this would be a great opportunity to uh, consult an attorney, uh, check out any of the free classes and resources. Is there anything else you two would want to add for the audience? You made a great point there, Josh. Simply not physically being there doesn't mean you <laughs> moved out. You, you got to say something. You got to say, I'm not coming back. Mm -hmm. Here's the key. You can dispose of what's left in there. I'm not coming back. That is an important point to make. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And, um, of course, get, get your pets out of there. Mm -hmm. Definitely get your pets out of there, please. Don't leave the pets behind. But, uh, even if you don't have all of your belongings out of there, what Nick stated, where if you are in if you have an eviction hearing, you're in open court, you're not able to, you weren't able to physically move all your belongings out beforehand. 
most of the time, if you hand over the keys in open court, the landlord needs to provide you 30 days to get your personal belongings out of the property anyways after you move, mm-hmm. after, you, after you're evicted or after you return the, the property. So you can turn over the keys and still work out some agreement with the landlord to, hey, I'm going to come with a truck on on Tuesday to get the rest of my things. Uh, the landlord also has to, within the five days of the tenant being turning over the property, they have to let the tenant back in to get their essential items. So that's medications, baby formula, anything that you absolutely cannot live without. The landlord needs to let you back in for that. So you can return the keys and then still go back and get your belongings after the fact in order to avoid an eviction. But get get your pets out, please. Yes, please. (laughs) Get your pets out. Uh, Make sure to heed the advice and warnings of these attorneys. Uh, Thank you for listening. And and if your landlord ever retaliates because of one of these things, uh, you complain and they lock you out of your own home, but you're up to your rent. Uh, There's also steps on the self-help center on what you can do, which we'll probably do another episode about landlord retaliation. Thank you for listening to Law and Caution, Protection Through Legal Education. Links to helpful resources can be found in the description. Have a great day!